Chapter Twelve of Hagar of the Pawn Shop by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Passing of Hagar. It was now two years since Hagar had presented herself to the astonished eyes of Jacob Dix, and one year since the death of the old miser had left her in sole charge of the pawn shop. During all these months, she had striven hard to do her duty for the sake of the man who had taken pity on her poverty she had toiled early and late she had neglected no opportunity to make bargains and she had lived penuriously the meanwhile all monies accruing from the business she had paid into the bank and all accounts of receipts and payments she had placed in the hands of vark the lawyer at any time that goliath chose to arrive she was ready to hand over the pawn-shop and property to him after which it was her intention to leave as yet she had no idea in her head what was to become of her when the arrival of the lost heir reduced her to the position of a pauper it had indeed occurred to her that it would be best to return to her tribe again and take up the old gypsy life on account of goliath she had exiled herself from the romany tents so when he came into his inheritance she would be free to return thereto as a wealthy man jimmy dix alias goliath would not care to spend his life in roaming the country with vagrants and thus she would be relieved of his presence hagar was getting very tired of the shop and the weary life of carby's crescent and often the nostalgia of the roads came upon her several times of late she had wished that goliath would claim his inheritance and relieve her of the irksome task which she had taken on her own shoulders out of gratitude to jacob dix but as yet the absent heir had not made his appearance hagar knew very well that eustace lorn was looking for him pursuant to the promise he had given her and expecting the reward of her hand on his return lorn had been these many months on the trail of the missing man all over england and scotland had he tramped inquiring of every gypsy every vagrant every town scamp the whereabouts of goliath but all in vain for goliath seemed to have vanished completely indeed eustace began to fear that he was not in the united kingdom else he would certainly have heard of him or the man would have seen in the newspapers the advertisement inquiring for his whereabouts from time to time eustace wrote to hagar of his ill success and received replies wherein she expressed her detestation of the shop and bidding him to continue his search whereupon encouraged to fresh exertions eustace would resume his wanderings his adventures while thus engaged were many and various and in the end his efforts were crowned with success one day while hagar was seated rather disconsolately in the back parlor the side door which had been used by dix for such of his friends as wished to dispose of stolen goods a form of business which hagar had abandoned was opened boldly and a tall man strode into the room hagar rose indignantly to repel the intruder who had no right to enter by that way 
when suddenly she saw his countenance and fell back a step. Goliath, she said with a pale face. The tall man, he was almost a giant in point of height and size, nodded and smiled. He had closely cropped red hair and a rather brutal cast of countenance, by no means prepossessing. Again familiarly nodding to Hagar, who recoiled from him in aversion, he seated himself in a large armchair by the fire, which had formerly been used by dead Jacob Dix. "'My father's chair,' said he with a grin. "'I have come to take possession of it, my dear.' "'I am very glad to hear it,' replied Hagar, recovering the use of her tongue. "'Certainly it was about time, Mr. Dix. Don't call me Mr. or Dix, my dear. To you I shall always be Goliath, your Goliath.' "'Indeed you shan't,' retorted Hagar, in a spirited manner. "'I hate you now just as much as I did when you forced me to leave my people.' that is uncommon cruel of you seeing as you have been wearing my shoes all this time i have been wearing your father's shoes you mean and for your benefit solely i did so simply because your father was good enough to take me in after you had exiled me from the romany oh i know all about that cousin hagar we're cousins ain't we yes and we are likely to continue cousins but I'm tired of this sparring, Goliath. Where have you been all this time, and how did you learn that your father was dead? Where I've been I'll tell you later, replied Goliath, rendered surly by the attitude of Hagar, and as to how I knowed the olden was gone, why, a cove called Lorne told me just after I got out. Got out, cried Hagar, noting the queer wording of the phrase. So you have been in prison, Goliath. You're a sharp one, you are, grinned the red-haired man. Yes, I've been in quad, though I didn't intend to tell you so yet. I was number forty-three till a week ago, and they ticketed me for horse-coping. I got two years, and was took just arter you gave me the slip in New Forest. So now you know how I didn't see your newspaper notice about the olden kicking the bucket. You might speak of your father with more respect said hagar in a disdainful tone but what can one expect from a convict come none of that cousin or i'll twist your neck you dare to lay a finger on me and i'll kill you retorted hagar fiercely yeah you're as much a spitfire as ever more so to you replied the girl i hate you now as i did when i left my tribe now you have come back i'll go and who is to look after the shop that is your business my task here is ended to-morrow i'll show you all the accounts won't you share the property with me asked goliath in a wheedling tone no i shan't to-morrow you must come with me and see vark to vark echoed goliath starting to his feet is it that old villain who is to hand me over my tin yes your father employed him so i thought don't think. There ain't no time for thinking. Job! I'd better get my money afore the head of old Vark is stove in. What do you mean? asked Hagar, bewildered by his tone. Mean? echoed Goliath, pausing at the door. Well, I was in quad, as I told ye. There I came across Bill Smith. 
the mandarin customer yes we managed to talk how it don't matter to you but i guess when bill smith's out of quad that vark is bound for kingdom come and bill smith is out what shrieked hagar alive at once to the danger which threatened the lawyer out escaped that's the case he got away last week and they ain't got him yet i'd best go and tell vark to load his pistols i don't want the old villain choked till i get my property squared you come too cousin not just now tomorrow tomorrow won't do for me growled goliath you come today quick oh said hagar very disdainfully it is no use your taking that tone with me goliath i must get ready my accounts tonight and tomorrow if you come here i'll take them with you to vark when everything is set out to your satisfaction you can enter into your property at once then you won't come with me now no i have given you my answer you'd best give me a pound or two said goliath crossly i'm cleaned out and i need money to get a bed for the night you are as obstinate as ever i see but if you won't come you won't but i'll go and see vark myself and tell him about bill smith after which speech goliath with money in his pocket went off to see the lawyer cursing hagar freely for her obstinacy the man entirely forgot how she had devoted herself these many months to looking after his property all he thought of was that he loved her now as much as he had done in the old days and that she was still set on having nothing to do with him had she been an ordinary girl he might have broken her spirit but it was useless to attempt bullying with hagar she would give as good as she got and this great hulking goliath could only admire and desire the spirited gypsy girl who disdained him and his money well said hagar to herself as she saw the last of him i have had one unexpected visitor so by all the laws of coincidence i should have another to-day i never knew one strange event happen without another following on its heels hagar did not think precisely in so bookish a fashion but the gist of her ideas was as above and this proved correct before nightfall at which time the unexpected second event duly occurred this was none other than the arrival of eustace lorne who entered the shop with a smile on his lips and a love-light in his eyes the girl knew his step by some intuition of love no doubt and rushed to meet him with outstretched hands these eustace clasped ardently in his own but as yet so dignified was the attitude of hagar he did not venture to kiss her his speech was warmer than his actions hagar my dear hagar he cried in rapture at last i have come back are you not glad to see me i am delighted replied hagar beaming with pleasure more delighted than i was to see goliath ah he has returned then i found him at last you see and i recognized him from your description he did not tell me of your meeting eustace oh it was in this way replied lorne as they entered the parlor together i had searched for him everywhere as you know but could not find him where he has been all these months i cannot say as at our interview he refused to tell me perhaps he had a good reason for his silence said hagar 
noting the fact that goliath had kept quiet concerning his prison experiences i dare say laughed lorn he looks a scamp well i was down near weybridge resting by the roadside when i saw a tall red-haired man passing remembering your description of jimmy dix i felt sure that it was him and i called out the name goliath to my surprise instead of stopping he took to his heels ah he had a good reason for that also not an honest one i am afraid well i ran after him and in spite of his long legs i managed to catch him up then he showed fight but when i explained who i was and who you were and how his father had died and left a fortune goliath grew quiet and friendly he fraternized with me accepted the loan of a few shillings which was all i could spare and took himself off to london you have seen him yes and to-morrow i make up my accounts and give him over his property then i shall be free free oh cried hagar stretching her arms how delicious it will be to be free once more to leave this weary london and see the sky and stars sunrise and sunset to hear the birds and breathe the fresh air of the moors i am going back to my tribe you know i don't know said eustace taking her hand but i do know that i love you and i have an idea that you love me in this case i think that instead of going back to your tribe you should come to your husband my husband you cried hagar with a charming blush if you love me said eustace and then was quiet you leave the burden of proposing on me cried hagar again well my dear i will not hide from you that i do love you hush let me go on i have seen but little of you yet what i have seen i have loved every inch of it i can read faces and estimate character better than most and i know that you are a true good honorable man who will make me a poor gypsy a better husband than i dared to expect yes eustace i love you if you care i will marry you care marry me said lorn in rapture why my angel one moment interrupted hagar more seriously you know that i have no money eustace jacob dix did not leave me a penny i refuse to take anything from goliath who wants to marry me and to-morrow i leave this shop as poor as when i came into it two years ago now you are poor also so two paupers are foolish to marry but i am not poor cried eustace smiling that is i am not rich but i have sufficient for you and me to lead the life we love but the life i love is the gypsy life objected hagar i also am romany by instinct said eustace joyously have i not led the life of a vagabond these many months while looking for goliath see here my dearest girl when i left you i sold the florentine dante to a collector of books for a goodly sum with the money i bought a caravan and stocked it with books suitable for the country folk all this time my dear i have been travelling with my caravan from town to town earning my living by selling books and i find it really and truly a very profitable concern i ask you to be my wife to share my caravan and gypsy life so if you 
eustace cried hagar joyfully and threw her arms round his neck that was all the situation adjusted itself between them without further words when the pair stepped out into carby's crescent to see the caravan it was round the corner they were already betrothed for once in this world the course of true love was running smoothly to marry eustace to live in a caravan to wander about the country in true bohemian fashion hagar could conceive of no sweeter existence at last she was rewarded for her toils in the pawn-shop this is our future home hagar said eustace and pointed to the caravan it was a very spick-and-span vehicle painted a light canary color picked out with pale blue and on either side was inscribed also in azure the legend e lorne bookseller a sleek gray horse in brown harness was between the shafts and the windows of the caravan were barred with brass rods and curtained with the whitest of curtains hagar fell in love with this delightful noah's ark as eustace playfully called it and clapped her hands as it was about six o'clock and twilight the street was almost emptied of people so hagar could indulge in her raptures to her heart's content oh eustace eustace tis beautiful tis perfect she cried if it is as neat within as without i shall love it dearly you'll make me jealous of the caravan said eustace rather uneasily but don't look inside hagar why not said she with a wondering look oh because because he began in confusion and then stopped hagar looked at the door of the caravan and eustace turned his eyes in the same direction it opened slowly and a face a brutal white face looked out the man to whom this visage it was covered with a hairy growth of some days belonged peered out at eustace then his gaze wandered to hagar as the light fell on his sullen looks she gave a cry the man on his side uttered an oath and the next moment dashing open the door he had leaped out and brushing past the pair was racing down the street which led from carby's crescent into the larger thoroughfare eustace looked surprised at this sudden flight and turned an inquiring look on hagar who was pale as sculptured stone why are you so pale he said taking her hand and why did my friend run away at the sight of you your friend said hagar faintly yes for the time being at all events he is only a poor tramp i found near escher the other day he was lying in a ditch half dead for want of food so i took him into my caravan and looked after him till he got better he asked me to take him up to london and i was about to tell you about him when he ran away why did you not wish me to look into the caravan well said eustace this tramp seemed rather nervous i'm afraid a hard life has told on the poor soul a strange face always made him afraid and i thought that if you looked in suddenly he might be alarmed as it is as it is he was alarmed when he did see me burst out hagar he might well be as i know him you know him that tramp tramp he is a convict bill smith 
the one I wrote to you about. What? That blackguard who was engaged in the Mandarin swindle? cried Eustace, taken aback. Who stole those diamonds? I thought he was in prison. So he was, but he escaped last week. The police are looking for him. Who told you this, Hagar? Goliath, he was in prison also, for horse-stealing. But he has just been let out, a few days ago. Bill Smith, Larky Bill as they call him, broke out, and he wants to kill Vark, the lawyer. Then I have unconsciously helped him to escape justice, said Lorne in vexed tones. I really thought he was a tramp. Had I known who he was, I would not have helped him. He is a brute. He'll be a murderer soon, cried Hagar feverishly. For heaven's sake, Eustace, repair your error by going to Scotland Yard and telling them that the man is in London. You may be able to prevent a crime. I'll go, said Eustace, getting on to the driving seat of the caravan. I'll see about this tonight and return to talk to you tomorrow. One moment he leaped down again. A kiss, my dear. Eustace, there are people about. Well, they didn't stop Bill Smith running away, so they won't object to a kiss between an engaged couple. Good-bye, dearest, for the last time. Tomorrow we meet to part no more. It was in considerable agitation that Hagar returned to her pawn-shop. The coming of Goliath, the arrival of Eustace, the unexpected escape of Bill Smith. All these events crowded so rapidly into her life in the space of an hour, as one might say, that she felt unnerved and alarmed. She did not know what the next day might bring forth, and was particularly careful in locking up the house on this night, lest the escaped convict should take it into his head to enter therein as a burglar. The next twelve hours were anything but pleasant to Hagar. With the daylight came more assurance, also Vark and Goliath. The lean lawyer was much agitated at the news of the escape, and feared, as he well might, that his miserable life was not safe from so bitter an enemy as Larky Bill. However, his fear did not prevent him from attending to business and the whole of that morning Hagar was busy explaining accounts and payments and receipts to Vark and Goliath. The lawyer tried hard to find fault with the administration of Hagar, to pick holes in her statements, but thanks to the rigid honesty of the girl and the careful manner in which she had conducted her business, Vark, to his great disgust, was unable to harm her in any way. Everything was arranged fairly, and Goliath expressed himself quite satisfied with the statement of his property. Then he made a speech. It seems that I have thirty thousand quid, said he exultingly. Also a pop shop, which I'll give the kick to. With the rhino I can set up as a gent. That you can never be, retorted Hagar scornfully. Not unless you look arter me. See here, you jade. When I was poor, you said naught to me. Now I am rich, you. I say the same, Goliath. When you were an honest man, I refused you. Now you are a felon. I was a felon, corrected Goliath. I'm out of quad now. Well, I won't marry you. I hate you, cried Hagar, stamping her foot. 
and indeed if you must know i'm going to marry eustace lorn what at puppy cried goliath in a rage that man which you aren't i'll live in a caravan and sell books here goliath broke out into imprecations and was hardly restrained from violence so enraged was he he swore that for her years of service he would not give hagar a penny she would leave the pawn-shop as poor as when she entered it i intend to said hagar coolly i shan't even take the mourning i wore for your father my red dress is good enough for the caravan of eustace and to-morrow i'll put it on and leave the pawn-shop for ever this was all that goliath could get out of her he offered to settle the money on her to go in a caravan round the country if she wished it but all to no purpose hagar had surrendered her stewardship in such wise that not even vark who hated her could find a flaw in the accounts these things being settled she declared that she was going away with eustace after one more night in the pawn-shop first the altar and the marriage service then the caravan and the country and from this programme hagar never swerved that same evening eustace came to see hagar and told her that he had given notice at scotland yard of smith's escape and that the police were now looking for him while they were talking this over vark pale and scared-looking made his appearance he told the engaged pair a piece of news which astonished them not a little i went to the police about smith said he rubbing his lean hands together and i found out that not only one convict escaped but two two cried hagar and the second is goliath your friend jimmy dix he got three years not two and he broke prison with larky bill what a fool to come here cried eustace recovering from his surprise on the contrary i think he was very wise said hagar only i knew him as goliath and under that name he was arrested and sentenced as james dix the heir of jacob the owner of thirty thousand pounds no one would suspect him of being an escaped convict but how did he get rid of his prison clothes the police told me grinned vark the two broke into a house and stole suits to fit em bill smith was wounded by a steel trap so hid in the ditch where mr lorn found him goliath came up here boldly to get his bunny if i hadn't heard his description at scotland yard i should never have suspected him did you tell them he was here asked lorn sharply no but i'll do so unless he gives me half his money fifteen thousand pounds if he does i'll smuggle him over to america if he doesn't well said hagar if he doesn't you judas i'll give him up to the police you beast cried the girl furiously you low reptile you make capital out of everything goliath has conferred nothing on you but benefits why he warned you about smith and so gave himself into your hands yet you would betray him i thought you hated the man quavered vark astonished at this outburst so i do but i think you might let him enjoy his money in peace if he has been in jail he hasn't deserved it half so much as you 
i want half his money said the lawyer sullenly what good will it do asked lorne bill smith may kill you i'm not afraid of him snapped vark turning pale nevertheless i have bolker to stay with me at night and i've got my pistols besides the police are after bill so he won't come here yes he will said hagar throwing open the door he'll gladly give his own neck to twist yours get out of this place judas you poison the air vark whimpered and protested but hagar drove him out and locked the door on him when in the street he turned round and shook his fist at the house wherein dwelt the woman he now hated as much as he had loved she had escaped his toils she had run clear of the traps he had laid for her and now having discharged her trust towards the dead she was going out into the wide world with the man she loved poor indeed as regards worldly wealth but rich in the possession of lorne's honest heart no wonder vark was wrathful the house in which vark lived was down by the river and near that ruinous wharf whither bill smith on a certain memorable occasion had dragged bolker it was a gloomy old ramshackle mansion which had seen better days in the early part of the century but now it was given over to the lawyer his deaf old housekeeper and the rats on the present occasion bolker was also staying there by desire of vark the wretched solicitor who had sold so many thieves and who was now terribly afraid of one insisted that the lad should stay by him in case of need but nemesis was not to be tricked in that way passing through the gloomy streets on his way to this den vark who had grown a trifle hard of hearing did not hear the stealthy footfalls of one who stole after him nor did he see a shadow gliding close at his heels it was a windy night and the moon was veiled on occasions by a rack of flying clouds the lawyer walked slowly on until he ascended the flight of worn steps which led to his hall door as he did so a black cloud swept over the moon and lingered there so long that vark could not find the keyhole when he did so the door blew open with a crash and vark measured his length on the stone pavement of the hall bill smith saw his opportunity of entering the house unnoticed and flew swiftly up the steps and passed the prostrate man who was so confused by his fall that he did not know of the man flitting by at this moment bill could have killed vark easily but he judged that the hall with the open door was too public moreover he wished to get into the room where the lawyer kept his safe vark once dead and bill intended to open the safe with his keys and then escape well laden with plunder but of all these dark plans against his life and monies vark was ignorant as he gathered himself up and closed the door his housekeeper came down the stairs with a candle grumbling at her for being late vark made her precede him into a little room at the back looking on to the river larky bill took off his boots grasped the knife he was carrying and went after the old man and woman 
when he looked through a crack of the door into the room he started back and swore under his breath for therein were bolker and goliath bill began to think he would not be able to kill vark after all he hid in a dark corner as the housekeeper repassed him on the way up the stairs and then returned to his vantage point near the door of the room where he could both hear and see what ensued made him more resolved than ever to kill vark such an ungrateful bloodsucker thought bill did not deserve to live i am glad to see you here said vark to goliath who rose at his entry you got my note asking you yes or i shouldn't be cooling my heels in this hole of yours growled goliath savagely what do you want fifteen thousand pounds said vark tersely half the money left by the old un and why because i know you bolted from jail replied vark coolly and that the police are looking for you do you intend to give me up asked goliath grinding his teeth vark rubbed his hands why not he snarled i gave up bill smith and got the reward but i'd rather have half your money than put you in jail again i've a mind to kill you oh i'm not frightened said vark with an ugly look bolker sits here and bolker has pistols you can't kill me no i'll leave bill smith to do that said goliath coolly bah i'm not afraid of that ruffian before goliath could reply there was a roar like an angry beast the door was burst violently open and bill smith knife in hand hurled himself into the room fark yelled shrilly like a rabbit caught in a trap and the next moment was dashed to the ground by the infuriated convict bolker ran out of the room crying for the police and flew through the passage out of the hall door and into the windy night his shrieks roused the neighborhood in a flash goliath saw a chance of gaining a pardon by saving vark from being murdered he threw himself on bill who was striking blindly with his knife at the struggling lawyer and strove to wrench him off let be curse you shrieked the convict he sold me he said he'd sell you if i swing for it i'll kill him no damn you no goliath plucked the wretch off the prostrate man like a limpet off a rock and then commenced a furious struggle between the pair vark wounded and covered with blood had fainted away the next moment while smith and goliath were swaying together in a fierce embrace the room was filled with policemen brought hither by the shrieking bolker seeing them enter bill wrenching himself free of goliath snatched up a revolver that bolker had left on the table when he fled and fired two shots at the prostrate body of his enemy ya brute curse you die then he returned to the window which overlooked the river and keeping the police at bay with the pistol he wrenched it open goliath sprang forward to seize him but bill with a howl of rage dashed the revolver in his face curse you for rounding on a pal the next moment he had swung himself out of the window and those in the room heard the splash of his heavy body as it struck the waters of the thames 
two months after the foregoing event a caravan painted yellow and drawn by a grey horse was rolling along one of the green lanes leading to walton-on-thames it was the beginning of spring and the buds were already running along the leafless branches of the trees while the sharpness of the air was tempered by a balmy breath foretelling the advent of the warm months of the year beside the caravan strode a tall dark man arrayed in a rough suit of homespun and near him walked a woman with an imperial carriage and lordly gait she wore a dress of dark red much stained and worn but her eye was full of fire and her cheek healthy the pair were of humble condition but looked contented and happy as the horse plodded onward in the bursts of sunlight the two talked so vark died after all hagar said the man gravely as you know she replied the two pistol shots killed him and bill smith was drowned in the river as he attempted to escape he gave up his life to compass his revenge i am glad goliath was pardoned oh as to that said hagar indifferently i am neither glad nor sorry i think myself that he strove only to save bark in order to gain pardon well he got what he wanted said eustace reflectively he wouldn't if the public hadn't taken the matter up retorted hagar but they made him out a hero nonsense as if goliath was the man to forgive vark who intended to sell him well he is free now and rich i dare say he'll lose all his money in dissipation he had much better have held on to the pawn-shop instead of giving it up to bolker bolker is very young to have a business don't you believe it replied hagar dryly bolker is young in years but old in wickedness he bought the pawn-shop business with the reward he got from lord deacey for recovering the diamonds bolker will grind down the poor of carby's crescent and develop into a second jacob dix you are glad to be away from the pawn-shop i should think so she replied with a loving glance at eustace i am glad to leave dirty lambeth for the green fields of the country i am a gypsy and not used to the yoke of commerce also my dear i am glad to be with you always are you indeed mrs lorne said her husband laughing yes mrs lorne repeated hagar very sedately i am mrs lorne now and hagar of the pawn-shop with all her adventures is a phantom of the past eustace kissed her and then chirruped the horse onward they passed down the lane across the dancing shadows and went away hopefully into the green country towards the gypsy life hagar of the pawn-shop had come to her own at last end of chapter twelve end of hagar of the pawn-shop by Fergus Hume.